Section 8 of the Natural History, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Natural History, Volume 5, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 8, Book 22, Chapters 16 to 32. Chapter 16. The Lamium. Seven Remedies. The variety of nettle, too, which we have already spoken of under the name of lamium, the most innoxious of them all, the leaves not having the property of stinging, is used for the cure of bruises and contusions with a sprinkling of salt, as also for burns and scrofulous sores, tumors, gout, and wounds. The middle of the leaf is white and is used for the cure of erispalus. Some of our authors have distinguished the various species of this plant according to their respective seasons. Thus, for instance, the root of the autumn nettle, they say, carried on the person as an amulet, is a cure for tertian fevers. If due care is taken when pulling up the root to mention the patient's name and to state who he is and who are his parents. They say, too, that this plant is productive of similar results in quartan fever, and they pretend that the root of the nettle, with the addition of salt, will extract foreign substances from the body, and that the leaves mixed with stale axle grease will disperse scrofulous sores, or if they separate, cauterize them and cause them to fill up with new flesh. Chapter 17. The Scorpio. Two kinds of it. One remedy. The Scorpio has received its appellation from the animal of that name, in consequence of the resemblance of its seeds to a scorpion's tail. The leaves of it are few in number, and it is efficacious for the sting of the animal from which it derives its name. There is also another plant known by the same name and possessed of similar properties. It is destitute of leaves, has a stem like that of asparagus, and a sharp point at the top to which it owes its appellation. Chapter 18. The Leucacantha, Phylos, Isachias, or Polygonatos. Four Remedies. The Leucacantha, also known as the Phylos, Isachias, or Polygonatos, has a root like that of the Cyprius, which, when chewed, has the effect of curing toothache, as also pains in the sides and loins, according to Hisias, the seed or juice being taken in drink, in doses of eight drachma. This plant is employed also for the cure of ruptures and convulsions. Chapter 19. The Helxine. Twelve Remedies. The Helxine is called by some Perdicium, from the circumstance of its forming the principal food of partridges. Other persons, however, give it the name of Sidericius, and to some it is known as Parthenium. It has leaves the shape of which is a mixture of those of the plantago and the marubium. The stalks are slight and closely packed and are of a light red color. The seeds, enclosed in heads resembling those of the lapa, adhere to the clothes, a circumstance, it is said, to which it owes its name of helxine. We have already stated in the preceding book what are the characteristics of the plant properly so called. The one of which we are now speaking is used for dyeing wool and is employed for the cure of urispalus, tumors, all kinds of abscesses, and burns. 
The juice of it, taken in doses of one cyathus with white lead, is a cure for inflamed tumors, incipient swellings of the throat, and inveterate coughs. It is good, too, for all maladies of the human parts of the body, the tonsillary glands, for instance, and, in combination with rose oil, it is useful for varicose veins. It is employed topically for the gout with goat suet and cyprian wax. Chapter 20. The Paradisium, Parthenium, Ursaelaris, or Astricum. Eleven Remedies. The Paradisium, or Parthenium, for the Sideritis is, in reality, a different plant, is known to the people of our country as the herb Ursiolaris, and to some persons as the Astricum. The leaf of it is similar to that of the Osimum, but darker, and it is found growing on tiled roofs and walls. Beaten up with a sprinkling of salt, it has all the medicinal properties of the Lamium, and is used in similar manner. The juice of it taken warm is good, too, for separated abscesses. But for the cures of convulsions, ruptured bruises, and the effects of falls from a height, or of the overturning of vehicles, it is possessed of singular virtues. A slave who was held in high esteem by Pericles, the ruler of the Athenians, being engaged upon the buildings of a temple in the citadel, while creeping along the top of the roof, happened to fall from the effects of which he was relieved, it is said, by this plant, the virtues whereof had been disclosed to Pericles by Minerva in a dream. Hence it is that it was first called Parthenium, and was consecrated to that goddess. It is the slave of whom there is a famous statue in molten bronze, well known as the Splanoctenes. Chapter 21. The Chameleon, Iaxis, Olfonon, or Sinzolon, two varieties of it, twelve remedies. The chameleon is spoken of as the Iaxes by some authors. There are two species of this plant. The white kind has a rougher leaf than the other and creeps along the ground, erecting its prickles like the quills of a hedgehog. The root of it is sweet and the odor very powerful. In some places it secretes, just as they say incense is produced, a white viscous substance beneath the axles of the leaves about the rising of the dog star more particularly. To this viscous nature it owes its name of Iaxis. Females make use of it as a substance for mastage. As to its name of chameleon, that is given to it from the varying tints of the leaves, for it changes its colors, in fact, just according to the soil, being black in one place, green in another, blue in a third, yellow elsewhere, and of various other colors as well. A decoction of the root of the white chameleon is employed for the cure of dropsy, being taken in doses of one drachma in raisin wine. This decoction, taken in doses of one acidibulum in astringent wine, with some sprigs of origium in it, has the effect of expelling intestinal worms, it is good too as a diuretic. Mixed with polenta, the juice of it will kill dogs and swine. With the addition of water and oil, it will attract mice to it and destroy them, unless they immediately drink water to counteract its effects. Some persons recommend the root of it to be kept, cut in small pieces, and suspended from the ceiling. When wanted, it must be boiled and taken with the food, for the cure of those fluxes to which the Greeks have given the name of rheumatismi. 
In reference to the dark kind, some writers say that the one which bears a purple flower is the male, and that with a violet flower the female. They grow together upon a stem, a cubit in length, and a finger in thickness. The root of these plants, boiled with sulfur and bitumen, is employed for the cure of lichens, and they are chewed, or a decoction of them is made in vinegar to fasten loose teeth. The juice of them is employed for the cure of scab and animals, and it has the property of killing ticks upon dogs. Upon steers it takes effect like a sort of quincy, from which circumstance it has received the name of ulophonon, as also that of cynozolon, from its offensive smell. These plants produce also a viscous, which is a most excellent remedy for ulcers. The roots of all the different kinds are an antidote to the sting of the scorpion. Chapter 22. The Coronaplus. The Coronaplus is an elongated plant with fissures in the leaves. It is sometimes cultivated as the root, roasted in hot ashes, it is found to be an excellent remedy for celiac complaints. Chapter 23. The Anchusa. 14 Remedies. The root of the Anchusa, too, is made use of a plant a finger in thickness. It is split into leaves like the papyrus, and when touched, it stains the hands the color of blood. It is used for imparting rich colors to wool. Applied with serrate, it heals ulcerous sores, those of aged people in particular. It is employed also for the cure of burns. It is insoluble in water, but dissolves in oil, this being, in fact, the test of its genuineness. It is administered also in doses of one drachma in wine for nephretic pains or else, if there is fever, in a decoction of balanus. It is employed in a similar manner also for affections of the liver and spleen, and for enlarged secretions of the bile. Applied with vinegar, it is used for the cure of leprosy and the removal of freckles. The leaves, beaten up with honey and meal, are applied topically for sprains, and taken in honeyed wine in doses of two drachma, they arrest looseness of the bowels. A decoction of the root in water, it is said, kills fleas. Chapter 24, the Pseudoanchusa, Aches, or Doris, Three Remedies. There is another plant similar to the preceding one and hence known as the Pseudoanchusa, though by some it is called Aches or Doris, as well as by many other names. It is more downy than the other plant, however, and not so substantial. The leaves, too, are thinner and more drooping. The root of it, treated with oil, does not give out any red juice a sign by which it is distinguished from the genuine anchusa. The leaves of this plant or the seed taken in drink are extremely efficacious for the stings of serpents. The leaves, too, are applied topically to the wound, and the powerful smell of them will keep serpents at a distance. A preparation of this plant is taken also as a potion for affections of the vertebrae. The Magi recommend that the leaves of it should be plucked with the left hand, it being mentioned at the same time for whom they are being gathered, after which they are to be worn as an amulet attached to the person for the cure of tertian fevers. Chapter 25, the Onochilon, Archibion, Onochelis, Rexia, or Anchrysa. 30 Remedies. There is another plant, too, the proper name of which is Onochilon, but which some people call Anchusa, others Archibion, and others again Onochelis or Rexia, and more universally, Encresa. This plant has a diminutive stem, a purple flower, rough leaves and branches, 
and a root the color of blood at harvest time, though dark and swarthy at other times. It grows in sandy soils and is extremely efficacious for the stings of serpents, vipers in particular, the roots or leaves of it being taken indifferentially with the food or in the drink. It develops its virtues at harvest time more especially. The leaves of it when bruised have just the smell of a cucumber. This plant is prescribed in doses of three cyathi for prolapsus of the uterus, and taken with hyssop, it expels tapeworms. For pains in the liver or kidneys, it is taken in hydromel, if the patient shows symptoms of fever, but if not, in wine. With the root of it, a liniment is made for the removal of freckles and leprous sores, and it is asserted that persons who carry this root about them will never be attacked by serpents. There is another plant, again, very similar to this, with a red flower and somewhat smaller. It is applied to the same uses as the other. It is asserted, too, that if it is chewed and then spit out upon a serpent, it will cause its instantaneous death. Chapter 26. The Anthemus, Leucanthemus, Leucanthemum, Chameleum, or Melanthium. Three varieties of it, 11 remedies. The Anthemus has been highly extolled by Asclepiades. Some persons call it Leucanthemus, some Leucanthemum, others again Aranthemus, from its flowering in spring, and others Chameleon, because it has a smell like that of an apple. Sometimes, too, it is called Melanthian. There are three varieties of this plant which only differ from one another in the flower. They do not exceed a palm in height, and they bear small blossoms like those of rue, white, yellow, or purple. This plant is mostly found in thin, poor soils or growing near footpaths. It is usually gathered in spring and put by for the purpose of making chaplets. At the same time, two medical men pound the leaves and make them up into lozenges, the same being done with the flowers also and the root. All the parts of this plant are administered together in doses of one drachma for the stings of serpents of all kinds. Taken in drink, too, they bring away the dead fetus, act as an amemagogue and diuretic, and disperse calculi of the bladder. The anthemus is employed also for the cure of flatulency, affections of the liver, excessive secretions of the bile, and fistulas of the eye. Chewed, it heals running sores. Of all the different varieties, the one that is most efficacious for the treatment of calculi is that with the purple flower, the leaves and stem of which are somewhat larger than those of the other kinds. Some persons, and with strict propriety, give to this last the name of Aranthemus. Chapter 27, The Lotus Plant, Four Remedies Those who think that the lotus is nothing but a tree only can easily be refuted, if upon the authority of Homer only. For that poet names the lotus first of all among the herbs which grow to administer to the pleasures of the gods. The leaves of this plant, mixed with honey, disperse the marks of sores, argama, and films upon the eyes. Chapter 28. The Lotometra. Two Remedies. The Lotometra is a cultivated lotus with the seeds of it, which resembles millet. The shepherds in Egypt make a coarse bread, which they mostly knead with water or milk. It is said, however, that there is nothing lighter or more wholesome than this bread, so long as it is eaten warm, but that when it gets cold it becomes heavy and more difficult of digestion. It is a well-known fact that persons who use it as a diet are never attacked by dysentery, tenesmus, or other affections of the bowels. 
Hence it is that this plant is reckoned among the remedies for that class of diseases. Chapter 29. The Heliotropium, Helioscopium, or Viracuaria. Twelve remedies. The Heliotropium, Trichocum, or Scorpiorum. Fourteen remedies. We have spoken more than once of the marvels of the Heliotropium, which turns with the sun, in cloudy weather even, so great is its sympathy with that luminary. At night, as though in regret, it closes its blue flower. There are two species of Heliotropium, the Trichocum and the Helioscopium, the latter being the taller of the two, though they neither of them exceed half a foot in height. The Helioscopium throws out branches from the root, and the seed of it, enclosed in follicles, is gathered at harvest time. It grows nowhere but in a rich soil, a highly cultivated one more particularly. The trichocum, on the other hand, is to be found growing everywhere. I find it stated that the helioscopium boiled is considered an agreeable food, and that taken in milk it is gently laxative to the bowels, while again a decoction of it, taken as a potion, acts as a most effectual purgative. The juice of this plant is collected in summer at the sixth hour of the day. It is usually mixed with wine, which makes it keep all the better. Combined with rose oil, it alleviates headache. The juice extracted from the leaves combined with salt removes warts, from which circumstance our people have given this plant the name of Vericaria, although from its various properties it fully merits a better name. For taken in wine or hydromel, it is an antidote to the venom of serpents and scorpions, as Apollophanes and Apollodorus state. The leaves, too, employed topically are a cure for the cerebral affections of infants known as psoriasis as also for convulsions, even when they are epileptic. It is very wholesome, too, to gargle the mouth with a decoction of this plant. Taken in drink, it expels tapeworm and gravel, and with the addition of cumin, it will disperse calculi. A decoction of the plant with the root, mixed with the leaves and some suet of a he-goat, is applied topically for the cure of gout. The other kind, which we have spoken of as being called the trichocum, and which also bears the name of Scorpion, has leaves that are not only smaller than those of the other kind, but droop downwards toward the ground. The seed of it resembles a scorpion's tail, to which, in fact, it owes its latter appellation. It is of great efficacy for injuries received from all kinds of venomous insects and the spider known as phalangium, but more particularly for the stings of scorpions, if applied topically. Those who carry it about their person are never stung by a scorpion, and it is said that if a circle is traced on the ground around a scorpion with a sprig of this plant, the animal will never move out of it, and that if a scorpion is covered with it, or even sprinkled with the water in which it has been steeped, it will die that instant. Four grains of the seed taken in drink are said to be a cure for the quartan fever, and three for the tertian, a similar effect being produced by carrying the plant three times round the patient and then laying it under his head. The seed, too, acts as an aphrodisiac, and applied with honey, it disperses inflamed tumors. This kind of heliotropium, as well as the other, extracts warts radically and the excrescences of the anus. Applied topically, the seed draws off corrupt blood from the vertebrae and loins, and a similar effect is produced by taking a decoction of it in chicken broth or with beet and lentils. The husk of the seed restore the natural color to lividities of the skin. According to the Magi, the patient himself should make four knots in the heliotropium for a quartan and three for a tertian fever, 
at the same time offering a prayer that he may recover to untie them, the plant being left in the ground meanwhile. Chapter 30, the Adiantum, Calitrichos, Trichomanes, Polytrichos, or Saxifragum. Two varieties of it, 28 remedies. Equally marvelous, too, in other respects, is the Adiantum. It is green in summer, never dies in the winter, manifests an aversion to water, and when sprinkled with water or dipped in it has all the appearance of having been dried. So great is its antipathy to moisture, a circumstance to which it owes the name of Adiantum, given to it by the Greeks. In other respects, it is a shrub which might well be employed in ornamental gardening. Some persons give to it the name of Calitrichos, and others of Polytrichos, both of them bearing reference to its property of imparting color to the hair. For this purpose, a decoction of it is made in wine with parsley seed, large quantities of oil being added, if it is desired to make the hair thick and curly as well. It has also the property of preventing the hair from coming off. There are two kinds of this plant, one being whiter than the other, which last is swarthy and more stunted. It is the larger kind that is known as the polytrichos, or as some call it, trichomonase. Both plants have tiny branches of a bright black color and leaves like those of fern, the lower ones being rough and tawny and all of them lying close together and attached to footstalks arranged on either side of the stem. Of root, so to say, there is nothing. This plant frequents umbrageous rocks, walls sprinkled with the spray of running water, grottoes of fountains more particularly, and crags surrounded with streamlets, a fact that is all the more remarkable at a plant which derives no benefit from water. The adiantum is of singular efficacy in expelling and breaking calculi of the bladder, the dark kind in particular, and it is for this reason, in my opinion, rather than because it grows upon stones, that it has received from the people of our country the name of saxifragum. It is taken in wine, the usual dose being a pinch of it in three fingers. Both these plants are diuretics and act as an antidote to the venom of serpents and spiders. A decoction of them in wine arrests looseness of the bowels. A wreath of them worn on the head alleviates headache. For the bite of the scolopendra, they are applied topically, but they must be removed every now and then to prevent them from cauterizing the flesh. They are employed in a similar manner also for alopecia. They disperse scrofulous sores, scurf on the face, and running ulcers of the head. A decoction of them is useful also for asthma, affections of the liver and spleen, enlarged secretions of the gall, and dropsy. In combination with wormwood, they form a liniment for strangury and affections of the kidneys. They have the effect also of bringing away the afterbirth and act as an amenagogue. Taken with vinegar or juice of brambleberries, they arrest hemorrhage. Combined with rose oil, they are employed as a liniment for excoriations on infants, the parts affected being first fomented with wine. The leaves, steeped in the urine of a youth who has not arrived at puberty and beaten up with saltpeter, compose a liniment which, it is said, prevents wrinkles from forming on the abdomen in females. It is a general belief that partridges and cocks are rendered more pugnacious if this plant is mixed with their food, and it is looked upon as particularly beneficial for cattle. Chapter 31. The Picris. One Remedy. The Thetian. One Remedy. The picris derives its name from its intense bitterness, as we have previously stated. The leaf of it is round. It is remarkably efficacious for the removal of warts. 
The Theseum too has a bitterness not unlike it. It is a powerful purgative, for which purpose it is employed bruised in water. Chapter 32. The Asphodel. 51. Remedies. The asphodel is one of the most celebrated of all the plants, so much so, indeed, that by some persons it has been called heroum. Hesiod has mentioned the fact of its growing in rivers, and Dionysus distinguishes it into male and female. It has been observed that the bulbs of it, boiled with a pitocin, are remarkably good for consumption and pathesis, and that bread in which they have been kneaded up with the meal is extremely wholesome. Nicander recommends also for the stings of serpents and scorpions either the stalk, which we have already spoken of under the name of anthericus, or else the cedar bulbs to be taken in wine in doses of three drachma, and he says that these should be strewed beneath the bed if there is any apprehension of their presence. The asphodel is prescribed also for wounds inflicted by marine animals of a venomous nature and the bite of the land scolopendra. It is quite wonderful how the snails in Campania seek the stalk of this plant and dry it by extracting the inside. The leaves, too, are applied with wine to wounds made by venomous animals, and the bulbs are beaten up with polenta and similarly used for the affections of the sinews and joints. It is also a very good plan to rub lichens with them, chopped up and mixed with vinegar, and to apply them in water to putrid sores, as also to inflammations of the testes or mammalae. Boiled in lees of wine and applied in a linen pledget, they are used for the cure of deflections of the eyes. Whatever the malady may happen to be, it is generally in a boiled state that the bulbs are employed, but for foul ulcers of the legs and for chaps upon any part of the body, they are dried and reduced to powder. The bulbs are usually gathered in autumn, a period when their medicinal properties are most fully developed. The juices extracted from them pounded or else a decoction of them is good mixed with honey for pains in the body it is employed also with dried iris and a little salt by those who wish to impart an agreeable odor to the person the leaves are used for the cure of the various maladies above mentioned as also boiled in wine for scrofulous sores inflamed tumors and ulcers of the face the ashes of the root are a remedy for alopecia and chaps on the feet and an extract of the root boiled in oil is good for burns and chilblains. It is injected also into the ears for deafness and for toothache. It is poured into the ear opposite to the part affected. A moderate dose of the root taken in drink acts as a diuretic and an amenagogue. It is good also for pains in the sides, ruptures, convulsions, and coughs in doses of one drachma taken in wine. Chewed, the root promotes vomiting, but the seed taken internally disorders the bowels. Chrysermus used to employ a decoction of the root in wine for imposthumes of the parotid glands, and he has prescribed it in combination with cacarus in wine for the cure of scrofulous sores. Some persons say that if, after applying the root to the sores, a part of it is hung up in the smoke to dry, and not taken down till the end of four days, the sores will gradually dry up with this portion of the root. Sophocles used to employ it both ways, boiled and raw, for the cure of gout, and he prescribed it boiled in oil for chilblains and in vinegar for jaundice and dropsy. It has been stated also that used as a friction with wine and honey or taken in drink, it acts as an aphrodisiac. Xenocrates assures us, too, that a decoction of the root in vinegar removes lichens, itch scabs, and leprous sores, 
and that a decoction of it with henbane and tar has a similar effect and is good also for the removal of bad odors of the armpits and thighs. He states also that if the head is well rubbed with the root being first shaved, the hair will curl all the better for it. Simus prescribes a decoction of it in wine to be taken for calculi in the kidneys, and Hippocrates recommends the seed for obstructions of the spleen. The root, or else a decoction of it, applied topically, restores the hair in beasts of burden where it has been lost by ulcerations or scab. It has the effect, too, of driving away rats and mice and of exterminating them if placed before their holes. End of section 8